Jesus told his disciples that they would do even greater things than he did while on earth. What would it look like if a church stood in agreement that Jesus meant what he said? A church that not only believes it, but lives out this greater life on a daily basis. What would it look like to be greater? Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John's Gospel, uh, John chapter number 14. I'll get there in just a minute, John chapter 14. And we're starting a brand new series this weekend called Greater. And, um, and this is, I'm glad that you're joining us for this series. For these, this week and the next all four weekends, we're really going to be talking about really kind of two things. One is for you as an individual, how do you live a greater life? Uh, everybody, <laughs> nobody dreams of like, well, one day I'm just going to have this life that just kind of days for dollars, and I'm just going to kind of live for the weekends, and it's just going to kind of be. No, we, we all think about, hey, I'd like to be this, or I'd like to do that, or I'd like to accomplish this, or accomplish that. So in this series, we're going to talk about what does that mean for you, especially as a Christ follower, how do you do that? And, uh, and then we're also going to talk, what does that mean for us as a congregation? How do we have a greater impact in the world in which we live in? And, and what does that mean and, and look like in a, in a real sense? And so uh, today, this key verse for this series I want to give you, I'm going to give you probably about a half a dozen verses th today, but, uh, but this is kind of the key verse for the series, and that is John chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, John chapter 14, starting in verse number 12, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask for me anything in my name and I will do it. Now, this is a funny verse to me because we read, we say we believe the Bible. We say we read the Bible. We say we lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, we would fall. But do you really believe that Jesus wants you to do greater things than he did? It's a big statement. Okay, yeah, Aaron, I, I believe that, that Jesus wants me to do this as the Bible says. Do you believe that you will do greater things than Jesus did? Well, that's what it says. Rewind the tape. Very truly, I tell you that whoever believes in me, right, will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, period. Declarative statements. How do we live that kind of life? That's what I want to look at. How do we live that kind of life? How do we see that happen in our lives? Why is it that we read a book and we say we believe it, but yet our life doesn't reflect that? What is it? What do we have to do in order to have those two verses, those three verses, alive and active in our lives? I don't think anybody in this room would have a problem that if your life did greater things than Jesus did. Jesus says that that's what he wants for you and for I. The question is, why are we not seeing that happen? That's what I want to look at in this series. So today, I want to first of all explore uh, what I call greater perspective. It's kind of a good foundational point. Greater perspective, if you're taking notes. It's, this, is, this is about living life beyond yourself. Greater perspective is about having a perspective of life that's bigger than you. 
What happens a lot of times in our lives is that life shrinks us and narrows us and, and, and situations and circumstance crush us in such a way that we just kind of, we just kind of hunker down. We just kind of, uh, uh, just kind of take a, the, the crash position, if you would, and just kind of think, well, I'm just going to kind of get through this, and I'm just going to kind of get through this marriage, and I'm just going to kind of get through raising kids, and I'm just going to kind of get through this job, and I'm just going to just try to make it through life. And it's not a greater life that God called us to. That's not what Jesus said. Because I go to the Father, I just hope you make it through. Because I go to the Father, I just hope you just survive. Because I, I go to the Father, I just hope somehow you'll be able to get to heaven. No, no, no. He says, greater things are you going to do. How do I do that? Well, part of that comes down with what we call a greater perspective. Because we are most fulfilled when you and I live life beyond ourselves. Now, I'm going to do something, and you're going to have to track with me. Because if you don't, you're going to walk out of here and think, I have incorporated some secular humanistic ideologies in with Bible, and I'm not. But what I do want to show you is, and I love when this happens, first of all, I do not believe that science and theology compete with one another. I believe that God's Word confirms what scientists are saying, and science will actually confirm what God's Word is saying. Here's what I do believe, though. You go, well, that's not always the case. I agree. Because you've got to remember one thing. We're finite as creatures. We're limited. God's infinite, which means he has no bounds. So we as finite creatures are trying to understand something that is so far beyond our pay grade, that's infinite, that has no beginning, has no end, that sometimes we get it partially right and partially wrong. As Paul would say, this side of eternity, we see in part and we know in part. When we get to the other side, we will be known as we are known. We will understand you, you'll understand yourself, I'll understand me, we'll understand how this whole thing works together. This side of eternity, it's like looking through stained glass is what Paul says. But there are times where it just becomes glaringly obvious. I mean, I'm, I'm watching, I'm flipping the news towards the last week of the year, and they're talking about, hey, in your New Year's resolutions, hey, in your goals for the new year, one guy, a secular uh, uh, journalist on, on a very popular uh, uh, TV morning show said, make spirituality part of what you're going to do this year. It, and he began to go into scientific proof where people who, who are people of faith live better and are happier and are actually healthier than people who don't. We know that, right? But it's funny when the world confirms what we know to be true. It doesn't make it any more true. It just is like truth is being revealed. Does that make sense? So I want to show you something that is a secular ideology. It's been around since the uh, 1940s. Uh, and, and it's something that, that is taught at every major university, especially Psychology 101. Uh, it's a guy named uh, Abraham Maslow, who in 1943 wrote A Hierarchy of Needs. And Maslow basically said there are five basic needs that every human needs to have. And they started a base, kind of like a pyramid, and they worked their way up. And then as time has gone on, there's been three other additional needs uh, that science and researchers have kind of put with this, what they call self-actualization. How do you truly live at your best self? And, uh, and so I want to show you this, but I want to show you how, how where secular society and science and, and psychology comes from but really how it all goes back to what we're just talking about in John chapter 12. So Maslow says that the first is physical needs, which is about air and food and water and sleep. Then the next level of needs that we need are safety needs, protection, order, law, limits, etc. 
Then there's love. We need to love and be loved. We need to have that context, that feeling of belonging. And then the next level is esteem. So we need to be complimented. We need to be affirmed. Then there's cognitive needs. We have a need to learn and to, and to understand and to, to grow mentally, if you would. Then there's aesthetic needs. These are needs that experience beauty in nature. And so whether it's a beautiful landscape lawn or whether it's, it's, it's being out in rugged nature, whether it's just design or, or any aspect of that, this aesthetic needs. Then he goes on with, with the seventh level, which is these are smaller, smaller, higher, higher, higher needs. It's what he called self-actualization, which is where you really realize why you're made, why you're on this planet. Now Maslow will say that only 2% of people that walk the earth will ever experience that. That will ever really realize why they're here and who they are. Very interesting. What's interesting to me is this need, according to Scripture, cannot be met apart from God. Why? Because God's a creator and we're the created. And the creator knows best about the creation. And the creation is most fulfilled when the creation is in connection with the creator. And so Maslow will say you've got to go through physical needs, safety needs, love needs, esteem needs, cognitive needs... And aesthetic needs before you self-actualize, before you really realize why you're here. I don't think it's that difficult. I just think it's a simple conversation of God. This is Aaron. You said I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You have a future and a plan for me, Jeremiah declares. That my steps are ordered of you. That even what my enemy of my soul will try to use to harm me, you will turn around and use for my good. That when I'm in you and you're in me, I can ask anything that I want. It will be done for me by the Father in heaven. God, what is it that you want me to do? What is my I, Aaron Cole, am created to statement? That can only happen through relationship with Jesus Christ. I know I'm a pastor. I know I'm an evangelical pastor. I know I'm a Christ follower. But that's how that happens. Maslow goes on to say that there's one more need in this hierarchy of needs called transcendence. It's a need for transcendence. This is a need to live beyond yourself. This is a need to show an external compassion to meet someone else's need. It's not done out of obligation, but it's the most fulfilling thing you can do. That's the pinnacle of this actualizing who you really are. What's interesting to me is that transcendence, then this need for transcendence, is science confirming exactly what the Bible says. Let me give you a statement, and then we're going to walk into this. We will live a greater life only when we have a greater perspective. We, you will live a greater life only when you have a greater perspective. This hierarchy states that we must live life beyond ourselves in order to find fulfillment. And unless that life serves God and others, we'll never find fulfillment. We need perspective that's greater than ourselves. What's the greater perspective? I'm so glad you asked that question. If you have your Bible, turn back over to Mark chapter 12. We've been in John 12. Let's go to Mark 12. Jesus is asked the question by a teacher of the law, what's the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replies in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. He says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So when we talk about this need to live life beyond ourselves, when we talk about this need of having this greater, this greater life that comes from a greater perspective, Jesus replies and says, look, there's basically two things you need to do. is love God and love one another. That's the message. That's the book. 
That if you will love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself, you will fulfill all the law, Jesus says. You'll fulfill the scripture. You will fulfill what it means to be a Christ follower. That's living a transcendent life. That's what, that's, that, that is the, the, the godly, spiritual way of what Maslow would call transcendence. Again, it's interesting to me when science confirms God's word because the two of those are not in conflict. And again, when we get on the other side and we see how God created the heavens and the earth and the fullness thereof on the, on the heavenly IMAX, we'll go, oh, that makes sense. Because right now we know in part, we understand in part. It's like I can't complete the circle. I get part of it, but I don't get all of it. But then I'll go, oh, that's, oh, 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 I always wondered, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, because he's God, right? So, so the deal is, is that that is, that, but, but this need for transcendence, this deal, it's all fulfilled in loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. So the greater perspective that I'm talking about is the message of the cross. That's what I want you to get. When I say you, in order to have, to have a greater life, in order to live life at the fullness, you first of all, at a base level, have to have a greater perspective. The greater perspective is the message of the cross. Now, we know this stuff cognitively, but do we live it? That's the question. Again, I go back to what John's gospel said. Jesus says, greater things will you do. We all know that if we've been in church. We've memorized that verse. If you haven't, it may be brand new to you. And right now you're going, yes. It's like a rocky moment. Yes. Right? But for those of us that have been raised in church all of our life, we know that. But do we live that? I don't know if there's anybody in this room that would say, I live that. I do greater things than Jesus did. They go, well, that's arrogance. No, the Bible says that Jesus, that's his desire. That's why he came and lived this life, that we would do greater things. And so this message of the cross, this is what I'm talking about, greater perspective. So on the stage behind me, there is a cross. It's just a rugged cross. It's got a cross beam. It's got a vertical beam. This is what transcendence looks like. Maslow would never paint it this way, but this is what transcendence is. This is what it means to have a greater perspective. That when I stand here in the shadow of this cross, when, when I stand here in the thought of this, my life gets really small. My problems become very small. It, it, this feels very much greater than anything else that's going on in my world. This is a message of the cross. This is a message of, of, of a greater life and greater perspective. And so I want to look at, there's just two aspects of this. First, there's this vertical being. And this vertical being talks about this passionately loving God. It's to love God passionately. Jesus said that the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's, that's the first thing. So, so, so the first thing when I'm talking about transcendence is making sure that this vertical beam is right, that my relationship with God is right, that my relationship between me and God is right. That's the reason why, as a leader, I say this all the time, and I'm telling you, this is the best way to lead. I live life for the audience of one. And what I do for a living and what I do vocationally, there are hundreds and thousands of people that call Life Church home, and there is no way I'm going to make you all happy. Never going to happen. I'm going to go nuts and crazy trying. I, listen, I live with three women. I, I learned a long time ago, you're not going to make everybody happy. Amen. Well, it doesn't matter where you eat. It doesn't matter what you do. You're just, so at some point in time, you're just going to have to pick a direction and go. And, and, and that's it. And at Life Church, that's the way I lead. It's not that I don't care. It's not that I don't love you. It's not, that, it's not that I don't want everybody to be here and stay here forever. I do. 
I think, I think you're the most amazing church in the world. I think you're the most awesome people in the world. There is no other church I would much rather be at. There's no other place I'd much rather preach than right here. You're amazing. And anytime somebody comes in for a season and they leave for a season, I don't like that. But what I realize is, is I don't live for that audience. That's not why I preach. I'm not preaching for the applause of man. I'm not preaching for, for the cheers. I'm not preaching for the attaboys. I'm not preaching for the affirmation except for him. Because one day I'll stand before God. I, Aaron Cole, not Pastor Aaron, Aaron Cole. I'll stand before God and God will say, Aaron, I gave you a calling. And that was to pastor people. What did you do with that? I directed you to Germantown, Wisconsin. What did you do with that? I will stand before God and everything I've ever said before you, the Bible says, will be judged. Everything I've ever done will be judged. And so at the end of the day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer to God. So real simple, what helps me lead well and have sanity and sleep at night is not trying to please everybody that I serve. Not trying to please everybody who calls Life Church home. Not trying to make everybody happy. I'm not trying to make everybody mad either, although sometimes I do that pretty well. But the focus is, is about living God, this vertical relationship, about this passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. About making sure that that is red hot. I'm never going to live a greater life apart from God. And, and many people don't, don't understand this. They think that, well, they can do this without God. Paul even encountered what was called a group of, of unknown. They, they served an unknown God. They just worshipped just a God that had no name. They, they didn't even want to define him. And so in Acts chapter 17, Paul addresses this issue because there are people sometimes that think, I can just do this on my own. I, I don't have to have this, this vertical beam. I, I don't have to have this relationship with God. You know, this is a bunch of stuff that's just made up at church and it's preachers and it's, it's, it's just a way for them to take an offering or a way for them to build buildings or a way for them to do whatever that they believe. I just think it's a, a crutch for people to kind of no, no, no. Look at what Paul says to this in Acts chapter 17. It's going to be on the screen too. Acts chapter 17, verse 26, 27, and 28. Paul says, From one man, he, speaking of God, made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appropriate or their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not very far from any one of us. For in him we live and we move, and we have our being. Paul's talking about this vertical relationship with God. Paul is saying God knows when and where you are supposed to be in the continuum of time. God knows that he's placed you where you are on purpose. That means the fact that you are here tonight is not by accident or happen chance. The fact that you live in this world and that you're living in this city, that your path and my path right now, you and me intersecting this message, looking at this piece of scripture, God knew when he brought you onto this planet. And he's done all this, Paul said, so that you might ask the very question about your purpose See, God's not off put by our questions. And hopefully in that process that you actually will reach out to him. Colossians chapter 1, 16 says, For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth. Things that are visible and things that are invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. So everything that we do, everything that we are is because of him. Therefore we will never find fulfillment in anything else. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship. He's talking about you. Talking about me as individuals. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. 
Again, we will never live a greater life apart from God. That's the reason why when I talk about this, it's not just something, some Sunday school, vacation Bible school type of a deal. The very basis of living a greater life comes back to who are you going to serve? Because you're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve money. You're going to serve a person. You're going to serve the man. You're going to serve your own sinful desires. You're going to serve the flesh. You're going to serve your family. And I mean like what, what, what the family is as far as like, you know, your expectations put upon you. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to just serve yourself. It's all going to be about you or you're going to serve God. That's the fundamental question of life. Who are you going to serve? And see, what gives freedom, what gives peace, is when you bring resolution to that question. You know what? I follow Jesus. Period. So where Jesus goes, I go. What Jesus says, I believe. What he does, I do. And when his word says that I can do greater things than him, and that's his desire, then that's exactly what I intend to do. Vertical. This vertical beam. The second part of this living a greater life is the horizontal. And the horizontal piece of this, it's all about, about serving others selflessly. It's, it, this, is, this horizontal piece is about relationship with each other. This vertical is relationship with God. The horizontal is relationship with each other. Here's what's interesting to me about the horizontal piece. The horizontal piece, can't, the crossbar of the cross, cannot exist without the vertical. It can't. I can have the vertical without the horizontal, but I cannot have the horizontal without the vertical. But I know people all the time that try to bypass God and just do life with one another. I'm just going to serve people. This is the reason why just, just humanitarian aid from an NGO operating in a third world emerging nation, it's good, but it does, it's not sustainable. Why? Because it's not built on this. You understand the difference? When it's built on Christ, when it's built on Jesus, it's eternal. So when you're, like back in the fall, when we gave to one day to feed the world, and you gave one day's wage to the poor of the world to feed the world, every single meal, every single uh, uh, act of kindness, every single act of compassion was not just done this way. That's what we all did. We served one another. But it was built upon this vertical beam. That's what makes it powerful. That's the reason why we partner with Convoy of Hope. Because at the end of the day, we want to partner not just with organizations that are doing good for other people, but they're doing good for other people that are based upon something that we believe in, which is Jesus Christ. And in this day and age, this is very important that we understand this. Because there's a lot of do-gooders. There's a lot of good horizontal things that are going on. But they're not built on a vertical premise that makes it last. And just good works without Christ are just in vain. But when they're done in the name of Jesus, they're transformative. They're completely transformative. I want to show you this. The Bible says about the horizontal beam in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. Command them to do good, speaking of Christ followers, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for a coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Psalm chapter 112, verse 9 says, They share freely. They give generously to those who are in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. You want to have influence, you want to have honor, then freely and generously give to those people that are in need. In the name of the Lord. See, we're not just talking about social justice. We're talking about serving in the name of Jesus. That's a big difference. There's a lot of organizations that do a lot of good. 
but doing it in the name of Jesus. There's a lot of organizations that will go, hey, we'll give money to do good, but we won't give money to do good in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, this is what's funny to me. It, it's, it comes back to this ideology of transcendence. Do you think you can transcend yourself? Do you think you can reach self-actualization from a secular perspective without God? You're crazy. There's no way to do that. Because you're predicating everything that you have upon faulty, flawed humanity. And the only thing that's not flawed in this world, the only thing, the church is flawed. I'm flawed. You're flawed. Your sweet grandmother, God rest her soul, she was flawed. The only thing that's not flawed is Jesus. He's it. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so, so, the, so the key of living life and serving one another is built upon this vertical relationship. Now, let me flip on the other side. I know a lot of people that, that live life, man, they come to church, bring the tithe, serve in ministry, but they don't give a rip about people around them. They got this vertical piece right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But this love your neighbor yourself, eh, not so much. I know a lot of churches that are like that. Mm, don't, get me, don't get me preaching good. It's true. Listen, if most of the churches in America shut their doors tomorrow, the people that did not attend them would not even know they, were, they weren't in existence. The average church in America runs 120 people. They don't see one person come to faith in Christ. I'm talking about evangelical churches in America. They average 120 people. They don't, they don't see one person come to faith in Jesus Christ, which that means one person coming in and going, I believe what you believe. <laughs> one in an entire year. And if they shut the doors of their church, nobody in the community would even know they, they weren't there. You want to know if a church is a great church? Find out if they were to shut the doors of their community, what, what, what would be the net effect? What would happen? If Life Church shut its doors... There'd be close to six hundred thousand dollars of missions that would, missionaries that would not be supported, and missions project that wouldn't be supported. There were five hundred and twenty-four people that gave their life to Christ last year just at Life Church. There were almost hundred people that were baptized in water last year just at Life Church. What I'm trying to say to you is, is that we don't just believe in, in, in loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We do believe that. This isn't an either-or conversation, but we believe in loving our neighbors ourselves. That's what we believe. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I believe that we're the bride of Christ. I believe that we're Jesus' hands and feet extended. And, and what Paul says in the, in the, to, in the, to the church in Rome, in the book of Romans, is that how will they hear unless someone's sent? How will they hear unless someone preaches? How will they understand unless someone goes? So we go, and we love, and we give, and, and there's opportunities on Second Saturday, and there's opportunities for us to go around the world on mission trips, and there's opportunities for us to be able to live out this gospel, for us to be able to meet needs of people in our community. We invite community organizations to come here freely and use the facilities. Why? Because we want to not just be a good neighbor, but we want to be in partnership you know one of the reasons why we don't do espresso machines and have a coffee shop and a cafe here? Because there is a Starbucks. I, be, I believe it's the third biggest, the third grossing, grossing uh, 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 drive through in the metro area on our parking lot. I'm not in competition with Starbucks. So what I say is, hey, man, we're going to just support you, and we're going to have a strategic relationship with you because this isn't about having a Christian coffee shop. I'm not trying to make everything Christian. 
I want to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. I want to go into every man's world and shine a light where there's darkness. I want to go into every arena. I want to go into the political arena. I want to go into the entertainment arena. I want to go into the sports arena. I want to go into those places where there's influence and influencers. The tables of influences that I've set at have not been opened to me by the church. It's been by God, but it's been by a relationship with someone else who was a person in a field of politics or entertainment or sports. And all of a sudden, a door's open for me to be able to share faith and be able to have conversations with people who I might name that you would even know. That's about the horizontal piece of this transcendent life. Man, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. It's how we live beyond ourselves. That's why I push missions. I'm telling you, that's why I push missions. I learned as a student pastor. I youth pastor for almost a decade. Tammy and I did in our 20s. And, and I learned that when I would get students on mission trips, suburban kids, parents work for oil companies and executives in Tulsa, and we get these kids and we take them on these mission trips and we take them to places, inner cities or international contexts where kids, kids were roaming streets or didn't have a door on the front of their house or there was just just incredible poverty or just rank smell and, and there, there's no parents to be found and these kids are just homeless and destitute. And, and when they would begin, these high school and junior high students would begin to reach and touch these hurting people, purpose would become created in their life. It's called living beyond yourself. It's how to have the greater life. You can't have the greater life without the cross. It's just the way it works. You can't get there without this. And this isn't that complicated. It's loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's loving my neighbors, myself. And it's finding ways that I honor God, and it's finding ways that I serve my neighbor. And sometimes those, those things are, are tangible. Sometimes they're intangible. And in the weeks to come, we're going to show you ways that we're going to try to do this horizontal piece. And we're always going to be preaching about this vertical piece. And, and even today, you, on, on the communication card you have on there, there's opportunities for you to be able to go on a mission trip. I would encourage you. I would triple dog dare you just to check one of those boxes. It doesn't obligate you to anything. It doesn't sign you up. We're not going to hound you. Please don't misunderstand. We're not going to do that. But for you to say, you know what? I'd like to go to this country. I'd like to go to this people. Or I want to know about these three trips. Because this is all about this transcendence. This is all about this, this horizontal piece of, of loving our neighbors ourselves. It's all about that. And I'm just telling you, when I take people, I'll never forget taking a, a, a business executive with me on a trip one time to Africa. And I told him, I said, this is going to change your life. He said, no, it's not. I don't want to go to Africa. I have no desire to go to Africa. I, I'll give you money, pastor. I will write you a check. If you want to go to Africa, we will go to my basement. We will turn on the television. We'll turn the, the heat up really hot. We'll put on safari hats. And we'll, I, that, if that will make you happy, I don't want to go. I don't want the flight. I don't want to do all that. I don't have time to do all that. I, well, how much do you need? I said, I don't need anything. I just want you to come on this trip. Really, I just write you a ten thousand dollar check, twenty thousand. What, what? I just leave me alone about this trip. No, I think you need to go on this trip. I think God wants to do something in your life on this trip. I'm gonna go on this trip. You should go on this trip. We're going on this trip. I don't go to Africa. I don't take the shots to go to Africa. I don't want to get diphtheria. I don't want to get malaria. I don't, I don't want to get any other kind of disease because this crazy number of shots you have to have when we go. No, no, no. I want you to go. We'll fly in Nairobi. 
We're going to land. We're going to go look at an orphanage at Life Church Supports, and you're going to see babies that have been left in open latrines that, have just, that haven't been aborted, but the mothers have given, have given birth and just left them there to die. And before the dogs get them, this, this, this center goes through and rescues these children. They bring them through an incubation process that's medically supervised. Then they adopt these children out to other African families. They're not international adoption. It's a local adoption. And, and it's a way to share the love of Jesus Christ. We're gonna, I'm going to take you there. You're going to see those babies. You're going to see the stories. You're going to hold those babies. Then we're going to go, and I'm going to take you to the slums. It used to be an area where they would just drop dead bodies, and nobody cared about it. Nobody cared about these kids. One of the biggest slums in the world. And this world-class city of Nairobi. And I'm going to take you there and you're going to go to the school. And you're going to see 300 schoolyard children in this schoolyard that are going to be there and it's going to blow your socks off. And then I'm going to take you out a day's drive out in a Land Rover in the middle of nowhere. You'll get cell reception, which is amazing, but welcome to Africa. That's how it works there. And so but we'll be in the middle of nowhere, and you're going to feed children that will come from miles around in order to get a nutritious meal, and we're going to help build a school there. And then we'll go on the safari. I don't want to go to Africa. Well, you're going to go to Africa. So I signed him up. He went with me on the trip, barely got there the last minute, had all kinds of excuses. I don't care, whatever, got on the trip, did this whole thing. It's 20-some-odd hours. We fly from here to Amsterdam, Amsterdam, and Nairobi on KLM, and we land, and we do this. He's tired. He doesn't like it. I do all that. We got up the next morning at the restaurant, which was not a high-end, re- but it was a, a hotel, but it was just very much typical African, and we're having breakfast, and Jay Cutler and his girlfriend, who's now his wife, walks in, has the same dumb look on his face that he did when we beat him, and, and sitting there, he's having breakfast breakfast. And I just said, I told you, man, look at the people. Marley Matson, who is an Academy Award winning actress, she was there as well, getting ready to go to safari. We'd see her again four days later. I said, and again, this was, but it was a safe area, the Israeli embassy, the UN, uh, uh, they're all in this area where this hotel is. And so then we get up the next day, he says, I don't want to go to Africa. So we go to the bush and I don't want to go to, I just, you know, whatever. He just kind of has his attitude. So I told him, I said, so then we go to the slums and we walk through, we do all this. He still doesn't care anything. He's just kind of like, whatever. I said, I'm telling you, when we walk around this corner and we walk into this courtyard in this slum, desolate, disgusting, stench-filled area, and you see 300 of the most beautiful faces you will ever see on the planet, you will have a taste for a minute of what heaven will be like. And you will understand just how small you are and how great God is. And it'll change your life. And he kind of looked at me like, whatever. I said, okay. You want to put a bet on it, Mr. Businessman? Because I'm fixing to make some money. Because I'm telling it's going to happen. We walk around the corner. And we walk to the corner. And this schoolyard is filled with these children. Standing perfectly at attention. Smiling from ear to ear. In the little school uniforms that have been provided. Had a nutritious meal. Sponsored by incredible generous people like yourself. And we sit there, and they began to do their presentation. Tears began to come down his face. And he looks at me and says, you're right. I said, I told you. Something happens in your life when you stand in the shadow of the cross. Something happens in your life when you allow the Jesus that died on this cross, not just to live in you, that's the vertical part, but the horizontal part, to love and to touch humanity around you. That's what it means to have greater perspective. That's the first step, first step to living the greater life. Life Church, you do this well. But I just want to challenge you today to ask yourself the question, man, 
Are you doing this yourself? Do you believe this yourself? Go on this journey these four weeks with me to explore how to do this better so that you're able to do what Jesus says, greater works. I want you to check out this video and see just some of the things that you've done this year as we close. Well, hey, Life Church, once again, we have had a phenomenal year in missions around the corner and around the world. Here at Life Church, we have the philosophy that we're not just raising missions dollars, but we're raising up missions givers. So I want for you to take a look at what your children have done for missions this past year. Hey, Life Kids, we have a passion to see each student gain a heart for missions. We see this in our weekend services where we have kids from kindergartners to fifth graders come and pray over the offering as we receive it every weekend and pray for the kids there in Haiti. We saw it this summer with one of our students, Emily, who took it upon herself to raise funds at our summer nights for the kids there in Haiti and then to bigger projects where we did wreaths for Haiti this Christmas where we encourage students to sell wreaths so that we could provide a Christmas for kids there in Haiti. It was an exciting thing to watch as these students grow in their heart for missions and really believe that they can change the world. At Student Life, we do our best to help our students become mission-minded. For that reason, we went on two amazing mission trips this past summer. First one, we went to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where we put on vacation Bible schools throughout the city and saw God do amazing things to our students. And for our second trip, we went to El Salvador, where we put on children's programs throughout the city, went to different churches, went to schools, communities, and got to show the love of God to all the little kids, and it was awesome seeing their smiles. In addition to great missions trips, we also put an emphasis on raising money for missions. One way that we do this is by having 10K Day. 10K Day is a day where our students come together, they split into teams, and they go throughout the community and raise money. This is just one of the amazing stories from our students who are doing great things around the corner and around the world. What's incredible to see the impact that your students have made through missions this past year, Life Church. You as adults have also made a tremendous impact by taking three trips this past year that truly affected destiny for people. There was a ladies team that went to Nicaragua. And in Nicaragua, you got the opportunity to work with an orphanage and also work and do a vacation Bible school uh, at a school of over 100 kids and truly affect their lives to show them what Jesus looks like. Also, there was a trip that went to Los Angeles, a ladies team that went to the LA Dream Center to work with a ministry that's been going for, uh, honestly, decades. And it's amazing to see the impact that you made just by doing feeding programs and going and loving on kids who don't even have parents that are there for them. Also, we went to El Salvador. There was a men's team that went and did some construction. And there's actually a, a building, a prayer fortress that's been going on 24-7 prayer for 17 years. And the men's team had the opportunity to paint that prayer fortress. So the impact that you're making around the corner and around the world has been absolutely incredible, Life Church. You know, on the trips that we took last year, we worked with some amazing missionaries and organizations, but they could never do what they do without your financial support. Life Church, this past year, you raised over $590,000, over half a million dollars from your generosity and your sacrifice. So thank you so much for affecting destiny in people around the corner and around the world.